So if you have your Bibles with you, go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to begin there. While you're turning there, let me begin with, by asking you this question. What word would you describe your current experience as a Christian? Let me ask that again. What word would you use to describe your current experience as a Christian? Would you use the word growing? Would you use the word maturing? Would you use the word exciting? Would you use the word impactful? Would you use the word fruitful, fulfilling, victorious? Or would you use the word discouraged? Would you use the word unfulfilled? Would you use the word unfruitful? Would you use the word empty, defeated? And I'm sure you can come up with several other words. Inconsistent, up and down, so-so, mediocre, lukewarm. How would you describe, what word would you use to describe your current experience as a Christian? Now, I want you to think about that. And while you're thinking about that, let's begin in Ephesians chapter 5, and let's begin reading in verse 14. It goes on to say, Therefore, he says, Awake you who are asleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time for the days are evil. Verse 17, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I want you to stop there. We know that this letter was written to Christians because in Ephesians 1.1, Paul addresses them as to the saints which are at Ephesus. So we know this is for Christians. This letter is for you and I. And in this letter, beginning these first four verses that I've read to you, what Paul is saying is this. It is possible to be a Christian, yet be asleep. It is possible to be a Christian, yet waste your time. He also said that it is possible to be a Christian, and yet be unwise. It is also possible to be a Christian, and yet not know the will of God. It is possible to be a Christian, and yet be unfruitful. It is possible to be a Christian and yet be empty. It is possible to be a Christian and yet be defeated. It is possible to be a Christian and yet be unfulfilled, discouraged, so-so, up and down. It is possible to be a Christian and be all of that. But these four verses lead to this one particular verse, our key text, which is the solution to the problem. And that's in verse 18. Let's go to verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine... Where in excess or which in dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I want you to understand this. Do you know why the Holy Ghost did not put this particular verse in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, and chapter 4? Because it didn't belong there. 
The Holy Ghost knew exactly where the scripture should be because the first three chapters talk about what we have in Christ. Chapters four and five talks about what we are to be as Christians as a result of what we have in Christ. And one of the biggest problems in many Christians today is they're going around living an unfulfilled life, a life that is empty, a life that is so, so up and down. And the reason for that is because they need to be filled with the Spirit of God. They're lacking in the filling of God's Spirit. So if we're going to experience the benefit of His fullness, then we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. So let's look at this. Let's look at this word filled. I want you to go to Luke chapter 4. And we're going to look at the definition of this word filled. The word filled is the Greek word plero, which simply means to make replete, which means to fill, to be filled, or to be well supplied with something. It also means to be crammed, or to furnish, or to satisfy. It also means to influence. In Luke chapter 4, we read the story where Jesus had just finished reading from the book of Isaiah, the prophecies concerning himself. Then he placed, closes the book, places it, sets, sits down, and he says, this day, this prophecy had been fulfilled in your ears. Then he got up and began to preach some other things, which kind of angered the listeners in the synagogue. And we pick up in verse 28, and it says, and all the people in the synagogue were what? Filled with rage as they heard these things. And in verse 29, it says, And they got up, drove him out of the city, led him to the brow of the hill on which the city had been built, in order to throw him down the cliff. It's interesting because when we see that, he was, that they were filled with rage, they, they weren't just angry and then walk away. They were filled with wrath, and then they tried to throw him off the cliff. Now, hold on to that thought. Go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And beginning in verse 44, here we read a story where Paul was also preaching, him and Barnabas were also preaching the gospel, and they were, they were having revival. They were preaching good. And verse 44 says, On the next Sabbath day, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, and contradicting and blaspheming, and they opposed the things that were spoken by the Apostle Paul. So what we have here in these two verses of Scripture that we've talked about is that, they were, one, they were filled with rage, but they weren't just filled with rage. That rage caused them to want to throw Jesus off the cliff. Then we have these people who were filled with jealousy, and because of their jealousy, they became so angry that they began to verbally abuse Paul and Barnabas even to the point of blasphemy. Now, ordinarily, a good Jew will not blaspheme. But because they were so angry, stirred up by this jealousy, it caused them to do something they don't, they don't know, or that they don't ordinarily do. I want you to stay with me now. So when we look at this, the word filled, we can say that the word is synonymous to the word control. Stay with me. That means that when you see the word filled in the New Testament, or I should say in the New Testament sense, almost always it means that something or someone is controlling or dominating one's life. Something is influencing that individual. 
When we see how they were filled with rage, that rage caused them to want to throw Jesus off the cliff. Something they probably don't ordinarily do. When they were filled with jealousy, it caused them to blaspheme, which is something they don't, know, they, they don't ordinarily do. But something got a hold of them. And so what I want you to see is this. Each of this passage reveals that there's an emotion in these people that overwhelmed them, dominating their thoughts and excluding, excluding every other emotion. How many of you have ever been angry and have said and done something that you don't normally say or do? Come on, every one of us should raise their hands. How many of you have ever said to yourself, oh, I lost it. I lost it. We've all, have, we've all been there. How many of you have ever said, I couldn't help myself? Or, I thought about it, but before I can think about it, I didn't know what I was doing. I did it before I can think about it. Before I even knew what I was doing, I did it. If you said those words, it's because that anger had taken control of your life. So when we look at the word filled, we're also talking about control or influence. So what does that mean, or what does that have to do with being filled with the Spirit of God? Well, go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, perhaps you, not, you may not know how to be filled or may not know what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. But I guarantee that there are many of you here that know what it means to be filled with liquor. Okay, I won't say anything more. We know that a man does not get drunk by watching beer commercials, right? We also know that a man cannot get drunk by walking by a liquor store. No, a man gets drunk when he drinks alcohol. And we know that the more he drinks, the more he gets drunk. And of course, the more he gets drunk, the more this alcohol has complete control over him. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I see you've been there before, huh? Okay. So when a man becomes drunk, another power takes over his life and controls him. We call it being under the influence of alcohol. So this alcohol takes over and transforms this individual, making him into something or someone he never was. So when a police officer pulls over someone who's, drunk, who's drinking and driving and tells them to get out, he makes them walk a straight line. And how many of you know that a drunk person cannot walk a straight line? He cannot. You know why? Because something is controlling his legs. Something is controlling his faculties. So there's no way he can, he can stand there and walk in a straight line. He cannot do it. He can't even barely stand, never mind walk. But what alcohol is to the body negatively, the spirit is to the spirit man positively. When we are filled with the spirit of God, that means he is in control and influencing our lives. And when the spirit of God is in, controlling and is in control of your life and he's in complete, completely influencing you and dominating your life, He's going to make you walk in a way that you've never walked before. He's going to make you talk in a way that you've never talked before. 
He's going to make you do things that you're not used to doing. That's what you don't normally do. Because that's what the Spirit of God does. Just like a drunk man who has no control over, over his capacities or faculties because he's filled with liquor, the man who's yielded to the Spirit of God allows the Spirit of God to take control over his life so that the Spirit of God can do as he pleases, making us walk, talk, and act in a way that you and I have never walked, talked, and acted before. There's something that Smith Wigglesworth once said, a powerful statement. He said this, this infilling of the Spirit always lifts a man to a level that is above the ordinary. Right, it's powerful stuff. When the Spirit of God takes control of your life, and he is in complete influencing your life, he will take you to places that are supernatural and extraordinary. I think that we take the Spirit of God for granted. Because I think he's, we, we think he, we know that he's there. We know that he resides in us. And we quote it, we sing about it. But I don't think we allow him to have full course and complete control of our lives to do what he does best. So to live a spirit-filled life is a life that is extraordinary. Experiencing the power and the presence of God on a regular basis. Think about that. This should be taking place every day of our lives. That's because the Spirit transforms us supernaturally. So it's not about how much of the Spirit of God we have. It's how much of us does he have of us. How much the Spirit of God has of you. But we got to be very careful because there are other forces outside that are trying to gain control of your life, trying to compete with the Holy Ghost. Go with me to Acts chapter 5. We know from Scripture and from experience that Satan is trying to do everything he can to try to control our very lives. Acts chapter 5, we read the story where all the disciples sold all of the things that they had and brought all the proceeds before the apostles. And the apostles took the proceeds and began to distribute it to everyone so that every believer had, uh, had no lack. Man, wouldn't it be wonderful if we all come to that place? You all sell your possessions and bring it to me? Praise the Lord. I'll give you some, bud. But in Acts chapter 5, in verse 3, Ananias and his wife Sapphira try to pull a fast one over Peter because they had possession which they sold, and they took the proceeds but took some of it and kept it for themselves. And when they brought the proceeds to uh, uh, Peter, making it look like this was all that they received, the Bible says this, why has Satan filled your heart or controlled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? See, this, Satan, he wants to control our emotions. He wants to control our thoughts and our passions. He wants to be the one to set the agenda for our attitudes and everything else that we do in life. But see, what we need to do is we need to, try, uh, we need to take away the wrong control and replace it with the right kind of control. That's the control of the Spirit of God. So, 
we're still talking about what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. How many of you have ever taken Alka-Seltzer? Do they even sell that? They still sell that? Okay. Well, you know how it works. You take a glass of water, you put two tablets in there, and it begins to dissolve and fizzle. Once it's completely dissolved, the water changes because now it's filled with all these little tiny bubbles. Not only does it do that, but also it changes the taste. It gives it a distinct flavor of Alka-Seltzer. So what we see here is the glass, after the the Alka-Seltzer had been dissolved, it changed the way the water looks, and it changed the way the water tastes. When you and I are filled with the Spirit of God, it changes how we look, changes how we think, changes how we act, changes how we walk and talk. There's a transformation that takes place when we're filled with the Spirit of God because he takes complete control. And we're under the influence of the Spirit of God in everything that he does and says. So when we are filled with the Spirit of God to that place, it becomes obvious to others. People begin to see that there's something different about you. They notice that that you are in control or something is controlling you, some unseen power. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, it becomes obvious to others because you're changed. You're not the same. So if being filled with the Spirit of God means to be permeated, controlled, and dominated by the Spirit of God, what can you expect to happen in your life as a result of this? Let's take a look. Go to Acts chapter 1. Not only is the Spirit of God essential for our salvation, but it also provides numerous benefits and great results in our lives. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When we study the, the Bible, and we, especially in the New Testament, we look at all the spirit-filled believers that have accomplished great things, surpassing all of the groups that, that have accomplished anything in history. I mean, think about it. These spirit-filled believers cast out devils, healed the sick, raised the dead, influenced multitudes of people, and even turned the whole world upside down. It is said that the most powerful person in the world is a spirit-filled Christian. Think about that. And this power is still available to us. Jesus says, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So think about it. Every one of you are just a power-packed Christian, ready to explode on someone that that you come in contact with. Whew, man, glory to God. I don't think you realize what you have. You are a dynamite walking, waiting to, to to explode somewhere. But let's look at some examples. Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 4. Let's look at some examples, some of the results and benefits of this power. Let's look at Jesus' example. And Jesus, uh, in, in Luke chapter 4, and verse 1, Jesus says, it says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Notice that Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Verse 2. Being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry, and the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, 
Command this stone to become bread. Now you know the rest of the story. Jesus responds with the word of God. He resisted the devil with the word of God by saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When a spirit-filled person, or when a person is filled with the spirit of God, he can face and resist any temptation that comes his way. No matter how difficult, no matter how constant, how often he faces temptation, when he's filled with that spirit of God, when he's controlled and influenced by his spirit, you can face any temptation and resist it victoriously and effectively. The reason why Jesus was able to resist the temptation because the Bible says he was filled with the spirit of God. James 4, 7 says we are to resist the devil and he will flee. You want to make the devil run? Keep resisting him every time he tempts you. You know, it's fun seeing the devil run, especially when he's running the opposite direction. Let's look at Peter, for example. Let's go to Acts chapter 4. Peter and John had just finished healing the lame man at the gate beautiful. The next day, the rulers and the religious leaders did not like what they saw, and so they took uh, Peter and John and brought him before the high priest. And there the high priest began to reprimand them, telling them, don't preach in this name again, questioning their authority, questioning who in the world they are about going around healing people. And, and, and keep in mind that all these questioning that they were facing, in the meantime, the healed man, that they just, the guy they just healed, was standing right there completely whole. And it goes on until we pick up in verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers and elders and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, and all the other priests in Jerusalem, verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? And verse 8 says, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and then after that he just began to speak the word, saying things to them that no person would say because you were talking about religious leaders. They were very intimidating. And this is a stark contrast of Peter when he was back in uh, Matthew 26 when he denied Jesus three times because he was afraid. But when he was filled with the Holy Ghost, one of the things that a spirit-filled person looks like is when he's filled with boldness. There's a spirit of boldness that rises up in, in him, especially at the time when he needs to be bold. In Matthew 26, with Jesus, when, when, Paul, when, I mean, when Peter was questioned about whether he knew Jesus, he had a good opportunity to be bold and said, yes, he's my master. What are you going to do about it? But because he was so afraid, he denied Jesus three times. But after he was filled with the Spirit of God, he became a changed man. He became a bold man. Nothing, and, and it doesn't matter who he was facing, he was not even intimidated by these rulers. The ruler said, don't ever preach this name again. And he says, well, you know, it's better for me to obey God rather than obey you. So that, that takes some boldness. That takes some courage. But when a person is spirit-filled, he becomes bold, especially in moments when he needs to be bold. Go to Luke chapter 12. To be a spirit-filled person, you never have to worry about not knowing what to say at the time that you need to say it. Luke chapter 12. Jesus told Peter and his disciples, beginning verse 11, when, you, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. Look at verse 12. 
For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what to say or what you should say. When you're spirit-filled, you never have to be worried about being tongue-tied. Never, being, never have to worry about being lost of words because the Spirit of God will give you the words that you need to speak at the time we need to speak it. Hallelujah. Go to Acts chapter 10. When a person is spirit-filled, he becomes sensitive and tuned to the voice of the Spirit. He hears the Spirit of God speaking. In Acts chapter 10, the story where Peter went up to the roof to pray. And the Bible says that as he began to pray, he got caught up in a trance and began to see visions. After he finished seeing the vision, he stood there wondering what this vision was about. And pick up in verse 19. And while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Understand that the Spirit of God spoke to Peter, telling him, I want you, these strangers are going to come to visit you. You're going to go with them. That's all the information that the Spirit of God gave him. He didn't know where Peter was going. All he knew was the Spirit of God told him to go with these men. And Peter left with these men. And understand, if you read the rest of the chapters, this is a powerful chapter. <coughs> Peter lived in Joppa. God was telling him to go to Caesarea. Now, I don't know how far Joppa is from Caesarea, but he still had to make a travel. He had, still had to travel. And they didn't have cars in those days. So it took him quite a while. But whatever, Peter said, whatever the Spirit of God tells me to do, I'm going to do it because there's a purpose. And of course, if you read the rest of the story, he came to Cornelius' house, who was a Gentile, which was unheard of, and which was unlawful for a Christian, for a Jew, to be associating with a Gentile. But yet here he is with his uh, Jewish friends in a Gentile's home, and they had Bible study, and had revival, and the whole entire house of Cornelius was filled with the Holy Ghost and got saved. But Peter didn't know that that was going to happen. But yet because he knew the voice of the Spirit, he obeyed. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. He says, they know me. I mean, I know them and they will follow me. There's a story about Smith Wigglesworth when he was going to bed one night and the Spirit of God spoke to him, told him, don't go to bed. I want you to take a train to such and such a town. And this was late at night. He took the last train and uh, he took the train. And he went to the town, arrived there, and there was nobody there except one single man sitting in the bench. And right away, he knew exactly why he was there. He went, spoke with the man. The man began to open up his life, and he led him to the Lord, and he got saved. They say that Smith Wigglesworth was so tuned into the Spirit of God that when the Spirit spoke, he, he jumped. Man, to be so tuned to the Spirit to obey the voice of the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you know the voice. You know whether it's of God and you know when it's not of God. You know the distinction. Let's continue. Go to Acts chapter 13. A Spirit-filled believer can discern and bring to light every evil work that comes against them or against the gospel. 
In Acts chapter 13, Peter, uh, Saul, which is Paul and Barnabas, were preaching the gospel. And they were visiting different cities and preaching and just being successful. And then they came to this one place. Uh, and the governor, who was Sergius Paulus, who heard the preaching of the gospel, invited Paul and, and, and Barnabas to come to his house to continue preaching this word. But then there was another man named, named Bar-Jesus. The Bible describes him as being a magician and a false prophet. And when he heard that the proconsul or the governor invited Paul and Barnabas to his house so that he can continue hearing the word of God, this false prophet did everything he could to try to prevent Paul and, Sil and, Paul and Barnabas from preaching the word to the proconsul. In other words, he was trying to draw the, the governor away from the faith. And we pick up in verse 9, Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the spirit, fixed his gaze on him. You know, it's like looking at him, it's like that death stare says, you don't know who you're messing with, dude. You're in for it now. In the verse 10, it says, you who are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? He jumped right on there. He sensed, he discerned the evil work that was going on behind this bar Jesus. When a person is spirit-filled, he can discern every evil work. I probably shared this story before, but several years ago, I attended a special service. You know, you know the people there were familiar. I knew some of the people that were there. And, uh, and I saw this woman. And you know how somebody, somebody walks in and you know they're new in this place because this, it's written all over them. And so I saw this woman, so I decided, you know, go say hello. I said, hey, how you doing? He said, where are you from? He said, oh, I'm from Florida. Oh, well, praise God. So what are you doing here? I said, the Lord told me to come here. Now it started to get weird. You know, when somebody tells me what the Spirit of God told me to come here, then I start questioning. I says, okay. And so I says, well, how did you hear about this, you know, this, this place? She said, well, the Spirit of God told me to come here. Now, understand, this woman's never been to this area, never been to our church, doesn't know anybody. But she stayed there for about two or three days uh, because she attended the special service. She had no idea why she was there except the fact that the Spirit of God told her to come. She happened to be staying with one of the women, one of the members of the church. And so after the special service was over, the Spirit of God spoke to this woman. And this woman, this stranger from Florida, she called herself a prophet, a prophetess, by the way. That even made it even more weirder. And so... And she confronted this woman, this host, and she told the woman, the Lord told me to tell you that he knows what you're doing, and he, tells, he said to stop it and to stop it right now. Now the woman, the host, knew exactly what this woman was talking about because it opened up a whole slew of stuff. It exposed her because the woman discerned that there was some evil work going on. And because she brought it to light simply because the Spirit of God told her to come all the way from Florida to Massachusetts, to a state she's never visited, to a church she's never been to, to be around people she's never met, simply to speak to this one individual to tell her that she had to stop whatever it was she was doing. Listen, saints, this is not a game. This is real. This is, this is real. We can't take this lightly. When you're spirit-filled, you're able to discern what is evil. You're able to discern every evil work that's going on. You know how much sometimes you sense that something's not right? 
That's the Spirit of God telling you something. That's the Spirit of God trying to warn you about something. When you're Spirit-filled, you're able to discern what is evil and bring it, being able to bring it to light. Something that Jesus says in John 16 and verse 13. He says, however, when the Spirit of truth, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will show you things to come. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning verse 9, it says, Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have entered in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them. Verse 10 says, But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, even the deep things of God. Verse 11 says, For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Verse 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. God has given us a spirit so that we can know some things. As born-again believers, we know more about things concerning the spiritual things than the natural man. Natural, natural man cannot discern spiritual things, but a spiritual man can discern spiritual things because he's a spirit being and he's a born-again being. So, when we talk about being filled with the Spirit of God, we're talking about the Spirit of God that transforms our lives by his power. That means... That when the Spirit of God takes control over your life and begins to transform your life, you begin to change and start doing things out of the ordinary, things that you are not used to or ordinarily do. You begin to start loving people that you used to hate. You begin to forgive people that hurt you and cause you a lot of pain. You begin to, to control your passions when you before you didn't know how to control your passions. The Spirit of God will give you the ability to say no to immorality, no to adultery, no to fornication, no to pornography, no to drugs. The Spirit of God will give you the ability to say no to the things that you should say no to and say yes to the things that you should say yes to. When the Spirit of God is filling you and controlling you and transforming you, he can take a man who, be, who hits his wife every time he gets mad and transform him and cause him to tame his temper and treat his wife with respect. When the Spirit of God is living inside of you, there's a transforming power that's taking place, changing you. Because God does not want us to be who we are. He wants to be who he wants us to be, who he created us to be. And the Spirit of God is at work doing just that. But are we yielding to the Spirit of God? Are we allowing him to take control of our lives? Are we allowing him to influence everything that we do in life? That's why I was telling you that I started to become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit in my life. And I find myself starting to rely more on him. It's almost like the Spirit of God just reminded me, hey, I'm here. Don't forget that I'm here. I'm here to help you. I'm here to guide you. Use me. And so I've been doing that. You know, something small. I, I was having trouble with my seatbelt. 
last Sunday. And, uh, you know, I'm a law-abiding citizen, so I don't like breaking the law. But unfortunately, I had to break the law because I was driving to church without a seatbelt. But not because I didn't want to wear it. It's because I couldn't. It wouldn't reach. So it was stuck. And I was messing with it and trying to fix it. And I was just getting frustrated. I said, man, Holy Ghost, help me. About 10, 15 minutes later, hey, it started working. Praise the Lord. And there was another time where I had misplaced my wallet. And you probably may have heard this story. But it's worth repeating. And I could not find that wallet. And I remember I was, I was studying at night. I was in my computer and it was late. I was, getting, okay, I was getting tired of getting ready to go to bed. And I, I'm a creature of habit. So I have this habit of putting everything on the table so when I get up, I see it's there. My wallet, my keys, whatever it is I need, my glasses, everything. So I was getting everything ready, but my wallet was missing. And so I started looking around. Couldn't find it. Went into the car. Couldn't find it. Looked upstairs. Looked downstairs. And you know, sometimes you look at the obvious places, but when you can't find it in the obvious places, then you have to go to the least obvious places. Okay, I know I wasn't upstairs, but I'm going to look up there anyways. But I couldn't find it. Could not find it. Now I started to be a little concerned because I think, well, maybe, because I have a habit of sometimes when I'm in the car and I have this habit, I take out my wallet and I use it. I don't put it back in my pocket. Sometimes I'll put it right here between my legs or I'll just put it aside. And sometimes when I get out, it's, it falls on the ground. And I'm thinking, could, that, could it be that maybe that's happening? So I go back in the car again. I go over the flashlight, looking underneath the car, looking underneath the seats, looking everywhere. I, I checked the car at least three times. I couldn't find it. So I went to bed. But man, I couldn't sleep. I said, Holy Ghost, show me where it's at. Show me where it's at. So I started to go to sleep. I said, you know what? I'll, in the morning, it's daylight. Maybe I'll go back and look outside the car again. But then the Spirit of God said, get up and go look at the table. I said, man, but I already looked at the table. I looked underneath the table. I looked over the table. I looked everywhere. But the Spirit of God, go get up, go look at the table. So I said, all right, I'll do it. Got up, looked around, looked at the table, and see nothing. All I saw was my computer there. I said, man, I looked. I go on my knees. I looked at it. Well, there it is. My wallet was wedged underneath my computer, which I happened to put for, for, you know, to, to elevate my computer. I just completely forgot all about it. I completely forgot all about it. So as far as I was concerned, I lost my wallet. But the Spirit of God knows exactly where my wallet was. And when I cried out and said, Holy Spirit, show me. He showed me exactly. He would not even let me go to sleep because it was already on my mind. I was already having a hard time sleeping anyways. But the Spirit of God told me, get up and go back. And you know how many times I looked at that table and I could not find it. But the Spirit of God pointed out exactly where that wallet was. So what am I saying to you? It is important that we be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, the text, the way it was written, was, it, it was written in, in, in a way that it implied a continuous action. There is one initial filling of the Holy Spirit, but then there are several refilling after that. Or you could say, keeping or maintaining the filling of the Spirit of God. And you know, we, um, and so if you, the literal translation of being filled with the Spirit of God is be, being filled. In other words, continue to be filled. It's a continuous action. It's something that we are supposed to do on a regular basis. Now, I have a, a 2007 um, Toyota Camry. 
love my car. It's a four-cylinder. I get great gas mileage. I can go a long ways with a quarter of a tank. But sooner or later, I'm going to have to eventually stop at a gas station to fill my tank so I can continue going further. And I go and stop at least two, maybe three times a week. I need to because when my tank gets low, I got to refill it. As believers, we come to church and we get filled with the spirit when we're worshiping God. We get filled with the spirit when we hear the word of God. But in the two hours that we spend having filled with the spirit of God, the moment we leave the church, that fullness of the spirit, that fullness of the spirit begins to dissipate, begins to deplete. And you don't have to do anything to lose the steam of the Holy Ghost. All you have to do is live life. Because life has a way of draining out the reality of the Spirit of God that is in you. So, what we need to do is to refill ourselves. Whenever we find ourselves, uh, our spiritual tank empty, you wonder why people are empty? You wonder why people are discouraged? You wonder why people are struggling? You want to know why people are so sore up and down in their Christian walk? It's because their tank is not filled. They stopped, they forgot to stop by and fill their tank. And so, and you know, how far do you think you can go on an empty spiritual tank and expect to overcome, expect to hear the voice of the Spirit and do all the wonderful things that you can do through the Spirit of God? You can't. So you have to fill yourself up. Keep refilling yourself. It's a command to be filled, not a suggestion, not an option. God says be filled with the Spirit or be being filled or keep continuously filling yourself up with the Spirit of God. Well, how do you do that? Well, coming to church, praising God and getting filled with the Word of God, that's one way, but you know what? We only do it twice a week. It's not enough. We go home, spend time in the Word, pray, fast and pray, meditate upon the Word, study the Word. See, what you want is this. You want to always be aware of the presence of God. Every time you live, every time you wake up, that means acknowledging the Spirit of God. Sometimes the best thing to do is ask, Lord, fill me. He commands us to be filled, but he also promises us to fill us. He promised that he will fill us. Go to Luke chapter 11. As I get ready to close. When we talk about the refilling of the Spirit of God, we see an example in Acts chapter 2 in verse 4 where Peter and the other 119 disciples were in the upper room and the Bible says that they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Two chapters later in Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, Peter and John joined his companions and there they prayed and the Bible says that the room shook and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Peter was one of them. So Peter was filled on the day of Pentecost, but Peter also was filled again at that time when he was with all those people. So there's an example of how you can be refilled. How it's a constant a lifestyle. Luke 11, chapter 9, 
chapter 11, I'm sorry, verse 9 says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Verse 10, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Verse 11, if a son of asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ephesians 5.18 says, be being filled. It's a command. But Luke 11 gives us a promise that if we ask, he will do it. I want to do something tonight. I want everyone to stand. I don't know where you are spiritually. I don't know what word you chose to describe your current experience as a Christian. But I want us to lead us to a, to a, a prayer asking God to fill us. So I want everyone to close their eyes and I want you to raise up your hands because this is between you and God. Because if you want to be filled with the Spirit of God, I want you to ask the Father. Say, Father, Father I need you. I hunger and thirst for you, and I want more of you. Father, I admit that I've been in control of my life, and as a result, I have sinned against you. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins through Christ's death on the cross. Father, I now confess and turn from my sins and surrender the control of my life to the Lord Jesus. By faith, I invite you to fill me with the Holy Ghost as you commanded to me in your word to be filled. You promised to fill me if I ask according to your will. I pray this. And Father, to demonstrate my faith, I thank you for filling me with your Holy Spirit and taking control of my life and being an influence in my life. And I pray this in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen. Now I want you to give him praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.